and I explain to them too now. Well, I'll say, you know what? Like, I realize I do this, and you guys are perfectly capable of finding things in the house. And it's a good skill for you to learn. Like, use your common sense. Y'all are very smart. Where do you think it might be? Where did you see? I said, you know, so I teach them. I don't just say, like, nope. I say, like, <laughs> well, what good I luck. do is first look in the obvious places that you've typically found it before. You know, second, you can ask a sibling who's who you think might have used it lately, you know. And then the last thing I will do is literally walk from room to room with my eyes wide and scan the room for it and look under things. Mom, 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 mommy, mom. Yes, what? Slow down. As moms, we are so used to running from place to place, taking care of everyone else's needs, and only wishing there were more hours in a day. But taking time for yourself starts right here, right now. My name is Jessica Nicole. I'm a wellness expert and mom of four. I'm here to give you permission to start making yourself a priority. On the Mom Slowdown podcast, I promise to ask the tough questions, explore difficult subjects, inspire, connect, and get real honest about life. I am so glad you're here. This podcast is sponsored by the app, The Zen Mommy my latest wellness offering just for moms like you. I am so thrilled to talk about my new app where I share all the wellness tools that I use in my life. Check out the library of yoga, recovery, meditation and strength classes, kitchen tips and a recipe database of personally curated recipes to help you look and feel your best. Plus check out the journal features where you can cultivate a daily gratitude practice and so much more. Life is stressful, but I believe we can make it all it is meant to be with just a few tools to help us along the way. Download the Zen Mommy now at Apple and Google Play and start creating a life you want. Mom, slow down and listen in. I'm here with Amber Trueblood. She's a licensed therapist, author, podcaster, and mother to four sons. An avid reader and learner, Amber curates courses, workshops, and simple self-care tools for women. Since the 2019 launch of her book, Stretch Marks, and podcast, I have the book right here, and I read it. It's incredible. Amber has written and contributed to articles in national publications, including O, The Oprah Magazine, Bustle, People, Fatherly, Wedding Wire, Mind Body Green, Good Housekeeping, and Parade. She's made it her life's work to help other moms find calm, peace, and fulfillment. By smashing guilt-inducing I shoulds, silencing self-judgment, and uncovering baloney beliefs, Amber can help each of us reveal what is truly important. And she and I share so much in our values and mission to help other women. I'm so excited to have Amber on and inspire us all to create a life full of joy. Welcome, Amber. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Jessica. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, me too. So I love, I looked up like the definition of stretch marks, right? Which we all have them. Most of us have them, but what does it really mean? And it's the scar that forms when tissues are stretched too far too quickly to use this kind of really incredible analogy for both your book stretch marks and your podcast. What did that mean to you? So to me, it was like the perfect metaphor that both moms could relate to literally, <laughs> right? Us, when we look down. Yeah. Right? But also just figuratively speaking, like all of us moms or not have been through periods of our life that stretched us, you know, that 
that really tested our limits. <laughs> and as a result, we're, we're changed. We've grown, we've expanded, we've shifted our perspective, and we can't really revisit <laughs> what we were before in a good way. And so I loved using the term stretch marks to just remind us that like, yes, we are different. We've gone through trials and tribulations and especially the planet now, and everybody's gone through them times 10 and, you know, really honoring and celebrating really like celebrating and acknowledging like, yes, you went through this hard thing, but wow, what did you learn from it? How did you grow? How are you a different person now? And how wonderful that is. And let's maybe stop trying to hide and feel ashamed or guilty or embarrassed about stretch marks and instead really embrace them, both the literal ones and the figurative ones. Well, and I love the fact that it leaves a scar, right? As a memory. And I would say when I started my career, I was really young and I would look up to all of these older women in commercial real estate that would complain about the wrinkles on their face. And I was like, no, but each one tells like a story. And I feel that way about like stretch marks figuratively and literally that it leaves like this scar on your heart. No, you can't revisit it, but it's a reminder of how far you've come. Yeah. And that growth that's happened. So was there a defining kind of stretch mark moment for you in your life? Oh my gosh. So many. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. And four sons. Whew, that's a lot. Yeah, so yeah. many, you know, the first that comes to mind, well, first I have to give, I have to give props to my editor at the time. My, I had a developmental editor that was helping me through the book and he was an older gentleman well, I, I shouldn't say that. He was a gentleman who was slightly older than me, who didn't have any children ever. And so was an interesting person to be editing this book, first of all. Yeah. I mean, how did, would he get the perspective of like understanding a woman, a mother with stretch marks and the life and trials and tribulations we go through? It was through. interesting because I think he was able to see some things that needed to be shifted that I wouldn't have seen and that another yeah. mother maybe wouldn't have caught up on. And then there were points when he was like, well, what's a pack and play? You have to do oh, really. Yeah. He was like, you have to define what a pack and play is. And I was like, I absolutely do not have to define what a pack and play is. Not anyone that picks up that book needs to know what a pack, we know what that is. Yeah. Right. right. So there were some things where, and he was like, there was one thing where he was like, you mentioned poop a lot. First of all, I don't, I mean, like not in any sort of crazy way, but I was like, poop is like a real part of having little kids. Like it's in your life. Like it's not a big deal. So there were a couple of things, but I had a chapter later in the book that talked about this one particular stretch mark that I have across my lower belly. And he was like, I've never seen anything written like this. I think it's fascinating. And I think you should start with this. And I think it might be the title for your book. And I thought about it and I kind of, you know, pitched it to some, some friends and family and kind of my alpha readers. And they were all like, yeah, 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 yeah. I think this works. So that's where the book title came from. But as far as like a personal moment of stretch, my biggest one that I also talk about in the book is I think when I was just starting to really uh, come out of the weeds of small children, my, my kids were all born pretty back to back four kids in like five years and two months, which doesn't seem like physically possible, but no, that's a, that's a lot. That's a yeah. lot, girl. And yeah. at the time I was like ready for it. Each one was planned, but looking back, I think what anyway, but I remember going to a dance class and that was like the beginning of my really trying to kind of re 
explore and expand, you know, what's important to me outside of my role as a mom and, and also just feeling exhausted and busy all the time. And how do I, how do I find that, that time and space for myself? And I remember not being able to drive back home. Like I I just stopped at a park and got out of the car and went and sat under a tree and yourself. I, you know, was just feeling this fluster of emotions of sadness and loss and frustration and then guilt. Like here I have these four beautiful, lovely, healthy, wonderful humans. My marriage is going great. I'm supported. We have financial resources. Like who the heck am I to be crying at a park? You know what I mean? I mean, that sentence comes like so true to so many moms. Like who am I to feel this way? Right. I mean, that is such a sentiment that, you know, we need to just kind of throw away because everybody's entitled to have whatever feelings that they come up with. A hundred percent. And it doesn't, it doesn't help those people who don't have, you know, a healthy marriage or don't have healthy kids or don't have a financial, financial resources, like you being more miserable (laughs) is not helping them either. So that's, it's something I think, like you said, that most, a lot of moms do resonate with, you know, this disappointment or frustration. And then at the same time, this guilt for not being fully satiated and fully satisfied and hundred percent happy with your life as it is. And so I had that moment and I just thought, oh my gosh, I need, I, I need to do something and I don't know what, and I don't know how, but that was to me, like I kind of a pivotal moment emotionally, like an emotional low where I realized something needed to change and and even though I didn't know what that looked like or what how it was going to happen, that was the beginning of the process. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and we all lose, like some of us lose more than others of ourselves when we have children. And I think it's, okay, it's well, it's always okay, but it's absolutely okay to mourn and, and have grief for the loss of who you once were. You know, and sitting on this path of rediscovering like who you are now, who you want to become, you know, that's a huge pivotal point. And I think guilt, and you would probably agree, is probably one of our biggest obstacles as mothers, as women. That's a tough one to overcome. I mean, every day, at least some point of the day, we're probably experiencing mom guilt. You know, if you're a working mom, you feel guilty because you're at work and you're not working. Or if you're with your kids, you're not working. It's, there's no win, no win in this situation. What other obstacles do you think that you find are common problems with moms in really just finding joy and, you know, and success in life? And success means all kinds of different things. I think there's two main things. I think guilt is one of them. And I think expectations are the other. And by expectations, I mean, and it could come, you know, your expectations of yourself, what you think you should be doing, how you think you should be behaving, what kind of job you think you should have, how you think you should feel about that job, like what kind of wife you should be, what kind of cook you should be, like all just the of the word them. should just feels yucky. Oh, I hate anyway, that word. I hate that word. I talk yeah. about it a lot in the book of smashing your eye shoulds like mm-hmm. like their iPhone devices. And but I think the first step is just even noticing them because so many of them lie beneath our consciousness. And so they're just they're like programs that are running all the time. And they're the ones that are a lot of the source of that guilt, the source of that self-judgment, the source of that shame, the source of that frustration because at some level you don't agree with most of these expectations. So you're like, you feel guilty about it, but at the same time, you don't flip and believe that 
But because it's all kind of happening often in our subconscious, we have all of these different emotions and and they're conflicting, but until we kind of notice them and ask ourselves and, and like kind of bring it up to the conscious level and ask ourselves, like, do I really believe that like I shouldn't be making more money than my husband? No. Does he believe that? Actually, no. Okay, then what's the problem here? And you know, sometimes, and I call it in the book baloney beliefs, sometimes that is all you need is just bringing it to the conscious level and it's poof, it's gone. I mean, honestly, sometimes it's that simple. And then sometimes it's deeper. And one of the ways, one of the tools, you know, I'm I'm all about practical tips. So one thing is just noticing where these, like when you're feeling guilty or triggered in some way, emotionally asking yourself, what's the problem here? What's my judgment? Oh, my judgment is I feel like I should be done by work, you know, with work by six o'clock because blah, 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 you know, because I need to get dinner started and okay, well, why is that important? Maybe ask yourself that. Well, why is that important? Because my kids need to eat because it's been too long since they've gone home from school and they're going to get grouchy. Okay. Why is that important? And sometimes you get to the end and you realize, oh, it's because my mom always told me, well, a good wife gets dinner on the table by 630. You know, sometimes it could be those moms, damn it. (laughs) Yeah. And then you ask yourself, well, does it make me a bad person if it happens at six or if I just order takeout? No. Okay. Solution (laughs) resolved. So noticing when you're triggered, asking yourself those questions and asking yourself, because that would mean what will help you get to the bottom line issue. And then, then that's when you can say, well, do I really believe that? If you say, well, I kind of do, I kind of do, but I'm still feeling conflicted about it. So then what do you do? So then the next step, why I would say is ask yourself to highlight the benefits of not having dinner by a certain time, Mm -hmm. the benefits of not dropping everything and attending to whatever it is you think in your mind you should be doing instead. Okay. So what are the benefits of not doing that? It might be modeling for your daughters that you've built this business over the last five years, you've attended to it, you've nurtured it, and it's, it's something that's important to you. And maybe not every single night, but three nights a week, you're going to do this. You're going to choose to do this a set instead. So you're modeling that to maybe your, your children. Okay. What other benefits you're not doing everything for your family. So maybe they're learning some independence and autonomy and you're delegating and maybe you're realizing that you don't have to control or micromanage everything and everybody Maybe you're giving them a chance to serve you a little bit, which maybe makes them feel really good because you're always catering to them. So making either a mental list or a written list of all the benefits of doing not what you think you should be doing, but what you really want to be doing. And I think for moms, especially when those benefits, when we can highlight the benefits to the people we love or the community we love, or our pets, or anything, because maybe you're going to be in a better mood because you didn't just break up your day. You finish that document you were working on. You feel jazzed about it. Then you go into the next three hours of your night with your family. Instead of feeling frustrated, resentful, guilty, you feel charged up. You feel like you could let that go. You you tied it up. You finished it. You're totally present. Mm-hmm. You you have the energy to like take your dog for a walk, which he's been dying to do all evening, you know? So what are all of the ways that the people and the things you love and care about will benefit? So that's another like hack that I like, because 
often we won't do it for ourselves, right? But we'll do it because of the benefits to the people we love. And so that's like a, I would love for people to just do it for themselves, but it, we don't work that way. So right, let's like, just sneak it in by benefiting other people. In. Yeah. And because chances are, I mean, and you all know this in your heart, I think that when you're happy and content and fulfilled, you're going to be more of the type of mom and person and partner and employer or employee that you want to be because you're going to be more patient. You're going to be more focused. You're going to be more calm. You're going to be more articulate. You're going to, you know, all of these benefits and that's going to benefit everybody around you because right. They say happy, happy wife, happy life, happy mom, happy family, all of that. Because it is contagious, man. If you're grouchy, how many times are you like frustrated and crabby? And then 20 minutes later, the kids are arguing. There's just like a snowball effect. Yeah. Right. And you're like, dang it. I started this because I woke up in a foul mood. Yeah, for sure. When I think it's important too to recognize that we are running around not doing a hundred percent of anything, just enough of everything. And that, you know, we're doing just enough at work to get by. We're doing just enough at home to get by. And I think too, what you're saying is, you know, completing the task, you know, staying focused, getting done what you want to be, you know, focused on or getting done what you need to do, and then moving on to the next thing instead of just trying to run from the next to the next to the next to the next. Jessica, but you I'm so glad you brought that up because I have a question to ask the listeners and you. I and and this is because it resonates with me because I do this. And I think when we're doing that and we're like, oh gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm doing all of this. I'm running, I'm going, and oh, nobody's helping me. And nobody's even noticing or acknowledging, which are all very well and true. But I would love for you to stop and ask yourself, how much of you is kind of a little bit proud of that, kind of likes that high, kind of gets off on the fact that you take care of shit, that you know where everything is in the house, that you are the one that solves everybody's problems, that you are the one that can untie the knots in the in the cords and in the shoelaces, that they come to you for all those things. Like, we get off on that, right? Yeah. The first step is admitting you have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but true. So true. I mean, instead of like teaching my husband all of these things, I'm like, just don't worry about it. I'll I'll just do it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fine. Like you said, no judgment, but right. take ownership for that. If you like 100%. it, then you cannot for one second be be upset or frustrated or resentful that they're going to come to you asking where the, where the salt is or where the scotch tape is. I wrote this post recently. I got to put it into like a blog, but I I think I wrote it for my email, but it was about, are you the finder of lost things in your house? Mm -hmm. Because with four, you know, you have four with four kids and, and a husband, I was like, they figured out because I taught them that the quickest way to find something is to ask mom. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. right. So you can stop what you're doing to go find the poppet or the shoe right. or the sock. Or, or yeah. I will either tell them exactly where it is in the house, or I will get up and stop whatever I'm flipping doing mm-hmm. and find it, which is not, which is first of all, yeah, highly inefficient and it's not serving them. And I kept thinking, man, when they have partners later in their life, like when we're at Thanksgiving dinner or something, they're going to be like, 
So did you just like get up and find everything for everybody? <laughs> because or they're still asking you, which is worse. I don't know which one is worse. <laughs> totally. So this is my hot practical tip for for that. So if you're somebody who, when somebody in your house comes ask you, you stop everything, and you go find it. Then you just go one, one just go one step down, one rung la- down the ladder. Ask them. No. So one step down the ladder from finding it would be telling them where it is. Okay. You stay where you are. You tell them where it is. If you already do that, or once you graduate to that and you're comfortable with that, then the next step is you say, huh, I would look in the garage. I would look in the trunk of the car and I would look under the sink by the kitchen. Okay. If you already say that, then I would, then I would say, then the next rung is ask them, well, where have you already looked? Okay. If you already say that, I mean, awesome. You've got, that's pretty far. Like that's yeah, pretty It's like a 12 step program for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you can say, this is the one that makes people's stomach turn. You say, huh? I don't know. <laughs> Mind blown. I don't know. And get this. There's a level past that. You know what the level past that is? No. What is it? Asking them for something when you don't know what it is, where it is. Oh. Yeah. So, but this is funny and kind of sad. Try it. I did this and I was like, Hey, do you guys know where my sunglasses are? I will tell you, nobody in my house has a problem saying no. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't stopping the video games or the bowl of cereal or anything that they were. Nobody else has a problem saying, no, I don't know where that is. (laughs) Yeah. So then you say, can you go look for my sunglasses and find my sunglasses for me and bring them to me? Did they do it? Multiple levels. Yeah. But I, I never thought to ask. Right. I would never ask that. I would just go get them. It is like a, it is a 12 step program. Cause you do have to wean yourself off. I truly like from helicopter parenting, like it's a real sickness, I, you know, when we were raised and, you know, we just wanted to do better than our moms and we just went in the opposite extreme. Yeah. And I, and I explained to them too now, well, I'll say, you know what? Like I realize I do this and you guys are perfectly capable of finding things in the house. And it's a good skill for you to learn. Like use your common sense. Y'all are very smart. Where do you think it might be? Where did you see? I said, you know, so I teach them. I don't just say like, nope. I say like, well, what (laughs) I do is first look in the obvious places that you've typically found it before. You know, second, you can ask a sibling who's, who you think might've used it lately, you know, And then the last thing I will do is literally walk from room to room with my eyes wide and scan the room for it and look under things. You know, you kind of have to teach them, like, if there's a pile of paper there, the scissors might be under that pile of paper. So you got to actually, like, lift stuff up and look under it. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help us all. No, I know. You need those little tag things on everything. My daughter's into now these pop-it, you know, what China-made toys. They're, like, fidget pop-it things, and they're just... okay pieces of like silicone and you just pop the little buttons all day. And, and then what do they over. Do? It's just like a trade them, you know, at school, okay. it's just a silly thing, but you know, she had a certain poppet and it was like a big deal. Of course, everything breaks down in the morning when you're leaving for school, right. like right when you have to leave. It's like, Oh my God, I don't know where the poppet is. You know, so everybody's like freaking out. You're like, Oh, she's going to have a full, full breakdown. But it's true. I mean, I think these are really impactful and powerful tools to start weaning yourself off of the being, doing it, everything, because we resent that. 
As, yeah, as I, much as it, you know, we find some like secret fulfillment in it. It's also pretty frustrating. Totally, totally. But I think, yeah, acknowledging what are you getting out of it? Who would it benefit and how would it benefit them if you shifted and delegated more? With all the back to school stuff, Jessica, I've been talking a lot about like bedtime routine and bedtimes that have creeped later, morning routines specifically around how to create more autonomy and independence in your kids. And then also, you know, benefiting you because you're doing less of it. So I'm, I'm happy to go into any, those types of tips if you want to dig in there. Yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, we all need them, but you know, morning times are the, probably the worst. I mean, my husband, even he's like, I hate the morning. I was like, okay, well, what can we do to reframe that? I was like, because your negative energy and hating the mornings transfers over to everybody else. Yeah. Or what are some tips for mornings? Cause we're all dealing with school mornings and right now. Yeah. And I think for me right now, school mornings are, are intertwined with anxiety. Like when it doesn't go well, it's, it's intertwined with anxiety and there's a lot of anxiety right now. Beginning of the day. It's how you start. It's how you leave your kids and you feel terrible if they're not happy or there's tears and, you know, it just doesn't leave everybody in a position to, to get out on the right foot. Right, right. Or to learn and to focus and to concentrate and all of those things that we want them to be able to do. I mean, so the first thing when I start talking about mornings, the first tip is how are you sleeping? Because you got to you got to rewind because, you know, yourself as an adult, if you're not getting consistent or quality sleep or enough sleep, I mean, it affects you're going to be crabby patients, your immune system, your metabolism, your, you know, your patience levels, your concentration, your memory, like everything. Yeah. Everything. Right. So protecting your sleep for me is the first step in having a good morning. And lots of times we've, you know, at least in my house, bedtime creeped later and later and later all summer. Oh yeah. And so creeping it back, even if school already started and people are being crabby, feeling crabby in the morning, you know, creeping that bedtime back and not like, okay, everybody's going to bed at nine o'clock tonight. You know, like nobody's gonna be able to sleep if if they've been going to bed at 11 and all of a sudden you turn off all the lights at nine. <laughs> so when you creep bedtime back, you're gonna want to do it in like, and it depends on the kid, but maybe 15 minute increments every three days, even that's super easy. But with bedtime creep, you want to creep the bedtime routine has to creep back as well. So, and I always like to highlight that just like we're all different. Everybody has different family values, different priorities, different personalities, you know, different everything. What our kids do too, right? And the more kids you have, the more evident that becomes, I think, because it's just in space, you can't ignore it. And so, you know, you know your child best, you know how long of a wind down routine they have. The other thing is sometimes when you think you have a like, oh my gosh, my kid's a night owl. Like they're hopping around, they're jumping off, they're bouncing off the walls. If they're literally bouncing off the walls, it might be an overtired. And you remember when we were kids and you'd get so sleepy, you'd get like punch drunk, like cracking up, like giggling, laughing so hard at sleepovers because you're just so exhausted. It's so my red dye number 42 that I ate in all the candy. <laughs> 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 Here, oh. cut back on the dyes. 
Maybe right. Also. Cut back on the ties, yeah. the candy yeah. corn. Yeah. So I would say, so you know your kid, creep back the bedtime routine and the devices out of the room need to be a big part of that. If they are doing devices before bed, there's a zillion different reasons and studies why it's just not great for your brain or sleep or bed. And, and I realize this is like a huge issue in a lot of families. And, and I just have one like kind of thought to put out there to give people and parents a little bit more confidence in, in like creating rules around devices, especially with bedtime is think of it like this. Think of it like if you put a mini fridge, so you got a free mini fridge from Costco last time you were there and you put it in their room and you fill it with all things like they have on the internet, super healthy, educational, wonderful things, and super trashy, crappy, you know, junk foody things. So the mini fridge is filled with everything, right? It's got all kinds of healthy fruit and vegetables, and it's got a bunch of, you know, brownies and preservative food and, you know, donuts and all kinds of stuff. And you put it in their room and every kid is different. Some kids are going to eat a little, you know, not really touch it. Some kids are going to eat some carrots, have a half a brownie, eat a sandwich, go to bed. Other kids are going to stay up all night eating every single piece of sugar and wake up feeling really lousy and sick to their stomach and maybe vomit. And so what would you do if that happened? You would say to the kid that stayed up all night, Hey, you know what? You stayed up all night eating brownies and that's just not healthy for your body or your brain. So we're going to have to take the mini fridge out of your room, you know, at least by seven o'clock every night or eight o'clock every night. Cause I don't want you to be sick and it's not, you know, it's my job to keep you healthy and safe and happy. And that's not going to do it if there's a mini fridge in your room, a fully stocked mini fridge. I use that analogy just to, to encourage parents to realize like they know their kids best. And if you wouldn't put a mini fridge in this kid's room full of unhealthy snacks, maybe a device is not a good idea. And if you explained it to them in those terms and you remember that you're indeed the, the parent, and I always tell my kids, you know, you are totally welcome to make different rules with your families when you're 47 like that. You could do all of those things. That would be amazing. You should write that down. You should totally yeah. write that down and you can have your kid, your kids can have all of that stuff. That'd be awesome. You yeah. do that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> call me, call me when that happens. Cause I know you're going to be apologizing to me to be like, <laughs> I can't believe I was such you know, a little bully when you were trying to take my mini fridge and my phone away. But I think it is important, number one, to give permission to other parents that are out there struggling and realize that, you know, we're in this together and remind them that they do, in fact, have the power to make the rules, even though sometimes it feels like there's a power shift in families. Um, ultimately, it is our job to be the bumpers in the lane to keep them safe and healthy and, and guide them in the best direction possible. And, you know, it's not good for us as adults to look at our phones before we go to bed. I mean, the brain is like lit up. It's like, oh, shit, it's party time. You know, right. you get that rush of adrenaline. And then to come down from that, you know, I think sleep quality for adults has significantly decreased. I mean, people are definitely not getting eight yeah. to 10 hours and it's not quality sleep. It's fragmented. Uh, and oh. sleep's important for everyone. It's yeah. our time back to the mother source, you know, it is how we recharge and, and get ready for the next day. And it's just as important for our kids. Have you read that? Why we sleep book? Oh, no, I know you're a big reader. Is it a huge? So good. Yeah. Okay. And he also has several podcasts that you can listen to that he's been a guest on. So if you'd rather listen, I am like, someone asked me, what is, what does self-care look like? I was like, sleep. I protect my sleep by all. I actually have a banner when I have parties at my house that says, please leave by nine. 
Like I love it. 9 like, p.m. And everyone knows, all my friends know. I'm like, Jessica starts the parties really early so everyone can leave and I can be in bed by 10 p.m. I love that. I will come to your parties. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I was going to say, but you know, you often have to replace that with something. So if your child is used to doing devices or playing video games or whatever it is before bed, what can you do instead? And so giving them any sort of activity that's a, you know, an analog type of activity. So something that's, you know, maybe writing in a journal, maybe they're reading a, you know, real paper book, maybe they're even going outside, breathing some fresh air, stepping in the grass, you know, a little yoga, a little bit doing of yoga, yoga little, doing any sort of movement, meditation, oh, that stuff, gentle stuff is great. Yeah, really good at deregulating the nervous system. Yes. And we will put on one of my kids is, has trouble winding down at night. And so he's been doing, I put it in airplane mode and I think it's through insight timer, but there's so many different apps and I'm sure yours has things. So either listening to a guided meditation or listening to like, they have storybooks. Yeah. They do yoga Nidra for kids and it's, oh my gosh, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. That would be perfect. So there's a lot of options like that. And then I would encourage you to ask your kid too, like, what do you think would help you wind down if you weren't using this? Because you never know. They have insights and teaching them that self-awareness is huge, right? Because a lot of us are still trying to figure that out for ourselves. Yeah. Imagine Amen. if we give them that head start, right? And teach them that self-awareness. You might have a kid that says, well, you know, for my birthday, I got that, those, those cool drawing pencils and the drawing pad and I, and I never use it. Like, what if I, maybe I draw before bed. Be like, great. That's yes. Let's try that. That's- and super empowering, right? That you give them back the power. It's like, no, you can't have your device, but you also get to come up with what you can do yeah. and check in. You know, that's again, they get to stop, listen, check in. What is it that they desire? What is the heart telling them to do? Yeah. And how that. do they feel the next day? And then also with the independence, one of the things that I've talking been talking about specifically in back to school is using as a guide, their grade level. So clearly, you know, you know, your kids best. So just use this as a guide, but if you have a second grader, then 20% of their backpack, their lunch, their schedule, they can decide, they can contribute to, they can prepare, they can help plan. You know, if it's a fifth grader, 50%. So they're getting their clothes ready. Maybe they're doing their own laundry. Maybe they're, you know, if it's a seventh grader, 70%. So that gives you kind of a guide. I like that. That's simple. Yeah, it's simple. And then you can remember. And the other thing is like all your kids are a year older than they were last year at this time. They can do more. So you can delegate more. And if you delegate from a sense of, wow, you're 10 now. Like you could do this. Like, why don't we, why don't you start putting out your clothes the night before? It'll make the morning more smooth and, you know, all help with like, oh, you can't find this or your socks aren't clean or this, you know, this tag is bothering you. So we need to cut it out or whatever, you know, I'll be there to support you, but wow, you're 10 now you could probably do this. So how do you want to do it? Do you want to put your clothes over here? And do you want to put your backpack by the door or would you rather have it in your room because it's where you've been doing your homework or, you know, give them some autonomy to make some decisions, but then helping them follow through with it and creating a habit of it. And this is another thing too, where you remind yourself the benefits of it. Cause yes, sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, it's easier if I wait till they go to bed and I just do it myself. And nah, nah, nah. But at some point, these people are not going to be living in your house anymore. Hopefully, if you've done something right, if you've screwed <laughs> up, they might live there forever. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, and, you know, it's, 
And I do think that it's, it's nice to realize not only how it benefits you, but how it benefits, how it benefits them and what kind of characteristics you're trying to build in your kids. You know, what kind of humans are you trying to create? And I say this in the book too, Jessica, like if your kid is graduating from high school and you're there at the graduation ceremony and you run into the principal and the principal comes up to you and says, oh my gosh, Jessica, I have to tell you, your daughter is so incredibly blank, blank, blank. What are the four words that you would just like be so stoked and proud to hear that principal say about your child? Then, you know, like those are the four and you could always change them. But like right now, whatever four things come into your head, like seriously, write them down. And what are you doing each day to contribute to creating little humans that will have those qualities or not? And so that means talking about them. So mine right now, and, you know, and they kind of shift are like kindness, creativity, independence, compassion, they kind of changes. But when they were little, like tiny, we had these like little word bubble things that we put on the walls that had those words in them. And we would talk about them at bedtime and we would, you call out those characteristics like, man, you know, when you went up to Sarah after soccer practice, and you saw she was bummed out and you gave her a hug. Like that was so compassionate. That made me really proud. And then let them trick, like let them overhear you talking to grandma on the phone. <gasps> Sarah was so kind today. You know what she did after soccer practice? Da, 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 da. Man, they hear you talking about that. They want to be kind and compassionate. And they're going to just, they're going to know that that's a way that they can impress you and feel good about themselves. And so it's, it's not only you knowing what those traits are for you and your family, but talking about them, acknowledging them, reinforcing them, modeling them yourself, right? You can't raise a compassionate, kind person if you're an asshole. Yeah. And, and, and you're not always going to be a compassionate, kind person. So it's also calling yourself out publicly and being like, you know what? That was not very kind what I just did. And I'm a little embarrassed. And so I'm going to take a hot minute. I'm going to walk around the block, take a few breaths, do some yoga. I'm going to, I'm going to call up the app. Yeah. Zen mommy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm going to get on the Zen mom app and I'm going to, I'm going to do a yoga nidra and then I'm going to call grandma back and I'm going to say, you know what, grandma, (laughs) I was really Hot not in a good place. place. Yeah. Yeah. But and say it's that important stuff to own up to own up to our mistakes in front of our kids. I mean, so that powerful. is also so powerful, you know, because they obviously idolize our children, idolize us and look up to us and, you know, think that we're perfect, even though we're not. And I think calling out, I, I have a big thing about really celebrating failures and learning from them and using those as teaching moments. And I think it's a really beautiful thing because you're going to slip up, you know, whether you with your kids or they see you doing something like you said to grandma. And it's important for them to know that they can make mistakes, too, and then be forgiven and move on and continue to grow and learn. With all the anxiety going on right now, it's really, really important for certain kids, because I'll tell you a lot of kids, especially when they're younger, they their default assumption is that you don't make mistakes. Right. That you're a grown up, you know all the right things, and that everything you say is true and accurate and perfect. And and man, some kids take that on as such pressure, right? right? Holy mackerel, I messed up. And so you know if you have a kid like that, that really sharing your failures and your 
your consistent ability to respond to those failures with, okay, I'm learning this, or I'm going to try this differently, or I'm going to be kind to myself and then move on, or I'm going to take a break and then come back to it. But sharing with them that, yes, that still happens all the time, but what you learn is tools to move through it more quickly or more kindly to yourself. And that's really what like being an adult, a grown-up is about, right? <laughs> not like suddenly not making any mistakes, not taking any risks, not hurting anybody's feelings ever. Like it still happens, but you learn to deal with it, hopefully in a more mature, <laughs> responsible way, right? I reached out to a friend whose mom was a life coach, a retired life coach, and she agreed to see me. And so I made an appointment with her and I went a few days later. And because I like books and notepads and pencils. And I came with like a stack of stuff, like, you know, all this stuff, like prepared, like we're going to solve this problem. We're going to make lists. We're going to make a plan and we're going to check stuff off and we're going to solve this. We're going to solve me, you know, and we're going to be like, yay. I came with all this stuff. She took one look at me, Jessica, and was like, yeah, you're not going to need any of that. <laughs> and then she Ooh. turned to me and said, um, are you, are you a crier? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, she handed me a box of tissues. And I was like, oh crap. Like yeah. we're in for it. Like this is not what I expected. And she had me kind of get centered and just breathe a few times and get quiet, which was not something my brain was accustomed to at all. I had not started meditating at that point. And then when I had kind of calmed down a little bit, she looked at me and said, so Amber, what do you want? And she was just quiet. And I was like, oh gosh, oh gosh. And I had just never, never felt that vulnerable before because I knew she didn't mean anything that was in my list or on my books. She meant something so much deeper. And I kind of let myself think about it and feel it into it, which was also something I wasn't accustomed to. And am I eyes welled up. And I said, peace. I said, I just want peace. And at the time I had four kids under the age of seven, anybody from the outside world would have been like, of course you flip and wanted peace. You're in mayhem. Like, but to me, it was like, oh, oh, it was a total revelation, a total epiphany. And then her second question, which is relevant, and so I'll continue, but she said, when's the last time you made a decision from your heart? And I was so disconnected to my heart at that time, to my gut, to my, you know, like kind of just my instincts that I didn't understand the question. I literally responded by saying, you mean like a totally irrational decision? That's what I said. Mm -hmm. Because to me, an irrational, illogical decision was like the worst thing you could do. It was the dumbest thing you could do. Why wouldn't you make a decision that was logical? And she said, ouch. Okay. Like, think about it. Answer the question. And so I thought about it. And the answer came to me, which was when I decided to have a third child. And again, when I decided to have a fourth, because there was no logical, reasonable pro and con, you know, reason to have a third and a fourth child 
in Los Angeles with the cost of living and all of the things and the pressure it puts on a relationship. And I mean, a divorce rates go up to like 70% or something once you have three or more kids. And that was yeah. years ago. I can't imagine. It's probably 89% <laughs> now. <or> something. <laughs> Don't quote me on that, everybody. I'm just, I'm guessing. And she said, you know, were you happy with those decisions? And I said, absolutely. They were the right decisions for me. And it just opened up a whole new thing of like, wow, maybe this is an area that is worth investigating more and really opening up. And that's when I started meditating regularly and kind of reconnecting and apologizing for the years of ignoring you know, my heart. And that was really the beginning for me of, of, a, of a new evolution, you know? Do you think that meditation was that bridge of the head and heart for you that was able to connect those two kind of forces? Yeah, it really yeah, stillness it didn't happen easily because you're no. like me, brain is going a million times. So it took some time, but what it did do quickly was it, it did become the benefits became visible very quickly, even though I felt like I wasn't doing it right and I wasn't doing it well, I still saw benefits very quickly. And so it did become something I wanted to continue. It didn't feel like work because I felt the benefits. Like I knew something, something was happening that was important and good for me and for my family. And so, but even though I felt like, oh my gosh, my mind wasn't still for even two milliseconds, you know, it took a while before I don't know if you ever feel like you're like good at it, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a practice for it's not a, a judgment, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, there's always growth. There's no perfection in meditation or yoga. Yeah. It's definitely a process of discovery. I love, you know, when someone gave me permission to not do meditation perfectly, I mean, yeah. that was like, I don't want to, I can't, I don't know how to do that. Or I, you know, I'm not good at it. Like there's, you right. can't be good or bad at meditating. It's just something that you do. It's right. just, and actually you're not even doing it. You're just being, which is like, (laughs) so it's not a doing, it's a being. I want to double back and talk about your biggest parent fail and what you learned from that. I know we talked about learning from failures and celebrating failures. Is there one that sticks out in your mind? You know, there's not a specific one. I think there's like a lot of little mini things that you learn along the way. I think, and I don't know that I would call it a failure. And maybe that's why, maybe it's, that's why it's hard for question for me to answer, because when you see the benefits looking back, you're like, oh, that was like a really good thing that happened. But one example I can use is one of this misnomer that we think that we need to be fair with our kids. This word of like, even Steven, like that, that you need to treat all your kids fairly with each other. And so I remember when my first two were like three and one and a half, and then I had a, oh no, I was pregnant with the, the third one and we were on location. My husband was working at Atlanta. So we were in Atlanta for three months. And so my one and a half year old was sleeping like in a pack and play in like a spare kind of side room thing that they had. For those of you who know what pack and play is. Yeah. Everybody. And I remember thinking, wow, when I put my three-year-old down to sleep at night, after he goes to sleep, I go in and I say all these like really cool, sweet little things to him. But I don't ever do that with Dylan, with my second son. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible person. Like, why would I 
why would I do that with Cameron and not with Dylan? Like what, how that's awful. And I would say all these sweet things. And so I immediately got up and I went into Dylan's little pack and play and I leaned over and I said like, Oh, Dylan, I just like even just barely started. And he looked up at me, his eyes popped open and he started crying because he was like, what the heck? Why are you coming in and talking to me when I'm trying to say? And I was immediately like, oh, that's why I don't do it. On some level, I knew that that was not the way to connect and encourage this particular human. Oh, okay. That's why I didn't do it. So with the four kids and the podcast and the book and all of this incredible work that you're doing, what does self-care look like for you? How do you carve out time? Ooh, so I love that you use the word carve out time because I think at first it feels like you're having to carve it out. But as soon as you realize that that 10 minutes you just carved gave you like an hour more during the day or gave you five hours more patience and six hours more ability to concentrate and two hours more energy. It doesn't feel like carving. It feels like, oh my gosh, this is this precious 10 minutes that will benefit me so much the rest of the day. So to me, my biggest things are a morning meditation. And that's also evolved. When I first started doing it, I would, as soon as I became conscious in the morning, before I even opened my eyes, go to the bathroom, drink water, anything. I would just scooch up, sit up and start meditating. That was it. I would do, I would, and, and I loved it too, because I love the, like, I love the neuroscience of meditation. So to me, that was like getting into the alpha state, like a cheating way. Cause you're, cause you're just coming out of sleep. So you're like, your, your brainwaves are already there. You can translate into that so much more readily than if you're versus like, having to like down regulate. That's funny. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brainwaves are already there. So I'm all about efficiency. Right? Yeah. So you just do it, do it right then. So I would do it now. I'll do it a little bit. Like I have a morning routine where I, I do a lot of deep breaths. I start by doing a, a fake smile. Like I'll just smile in my sleep. Like as soon as I wake up, I'll just smile. And sometimes it's like this. And it feels really funny, but that also has a neurological effect in your brain and it releases the hormones and chemicals that tell your body like, oh, she's happy. And I started doing that because I love doing those brain hacks, but also I found myself at night clenching, clenching my lips in this weird, funny way, like not my jaw, but like my lips. And then, and also like my hands would be in fists. And I was like, what is this? Like if I'm spending all night, you know, <laughs> like this, that's not good. That means I'm releasing cortisol and adrenaline and all these crappy, you know, chemicals into my brain that are not going to serve me. So I counter that by doing this fake smile, doing like at least five slow, deep breaths in the morning. I'll do some stretching. And then like now my routine is I make my morning coffee and I go drink it outside in the backyard. Or like a couple of days ago, I just walked to the park and I did that because what I realized in the morning is we do homeschool. So some kids are sleeping in, sometimes other kids are doing work and other kids have been up since 6.30 and they're like, la, 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 la. and so what I find is in the morning, I get really stressed out about the noise level in the house because people are sleeping. And to me, I wake up at the tiniest little thing. So I, so I get really adamant, like, oh, they're sleeping, they're sleeping, they're sleeping. Meanwhile, nobody's waking up. They're not complaining. Right. And so if I'm not in the house, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's not like they, 
after 10 minutes, somebody makes a loud noise anyway, you know, or I go in and I knock over a chair and then, you know, so like, so it was like unnecessary anxiety. Or it's eliminating um, those kind of triggers too. Yeah, you know yeah. that about so yourself. Now yeah. I go drink, I go get my little notepad and I go meditate and drink my coffee outside. And that's been my, my like self-care. That's been my latest one. Another self-care secret that I've been doing that I was doing before that one. I kind of, I like doing things for like three or four months and then I switch it up. But afternoon showers was one, mm-hmm. um, especially during the summer. I would just literally at like three o'clock, four o'clock be like, I'm going to take a shower and just drop everything and go take a shower because you don't, you can't have your phone in there. You can't be doing email. You, you know, you, you really have to unplug. You're grounding yourself because it's water getting out the day. You're getting it off your body. The energy. I love that. Yeah. And then that's when I tend to do a lot of my like affirmations or mantras I do in the shower. And so I have like a little mindfulness shower and then I come out of that and I'm refreshed for the next couple hours of the day, which are often the most stressful in the house, right? That like four o'clock to seven where you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And then that benefits everybody because then I'm in a better mood for those next few hours. So the afternoon shower, morning coffee outside, or the very beginning, early, early, early meditation of fake smile, several deep breaths. And then at night before bed, I I always do a a nighttime meditation. And sometimes it's a guided meditation. Sometimes it's a journal, like a free write in my journal. Sometimes it's a gratitude practice. Sometimes it's a visualization. I love doing positive visualizations of like big, big goals that, that I have and just sitting in that feeling of, of, you know, what I'm looking to do next in my life. And, and so I like to, I like to have a, like, like a whole smorgasbord. Like a smorgasbord. Yes. I love it. Well, what do you have coming up next in your life? What's on the horizon? Well, I have this stretch marks book. I just finished my book proposal. I just rewrote it for the third time and it's about anxiety in moms. And I'm super, I'm super revved up about this book. And so getting, getting more attention to my first book will help me land the publishing deal for the second book. So I just signed with literary agent, which was a first for me. That was really exciting. So getting that book launched and published and finished writing it is going to be the next big thing on that. And then really getting my courses out there. I have my main two things. I have a small product called Outsmart Overwhelm that includes a guided morning routine, uh, quick. It's five, a five minute morning. It's a, and then I have a five minute morning stretch. Actually, that's the evening, the evening. Well, you can do it whenever really (laughs) a five minute guided meditation for night called the MGM, a night practice. So I have a morning practice called smash. And then the night I love acronyms. So the MGM at night, the smash morning routine. So that's all in this outsmart overwhelm. So that's, that's the thing that I really would love to get out to as many moms as possible right now, because I think it could be hugely beneficial. And then I have a deeper, bigger program called the mom reset. And that's where we, you know, we take two, two to three months, go through and really up level, you know, and transform, find one or two issues that are really causing you a lot of angst and drama in your life right now, whether that be your relationship, whether that be, you know, starting a new job or a side hustle. I do a lot of business kind of coaching as well, or it could be parenting related or self-care, you know, emotional and mental self-care for yourself related. So that's called the mom reset. 
I love it. And where can they find you? What's your Instagram handle website? Yeah. So my Instagram is official Amber Trueblood. And I put a lot of stuff on there as well. And then my website is ambertrueblood.com. Awesome. We'll put all of those incredible links in the show notes. Amber, thank you so much for dropping some wisdom on us moms. And it was such a pleasure having you. It's been so fun. Thank you for having me, Jessica. And uh, big hugs to everybody out there. Mwah.